0: This is KMTT, and this is Ezra Bick. We'll be starting this week a series uh, based on Pashat HaShavuah, whereby I hope to take a point, uh, perhaps more connected to the simple Pashat, perhaps an expansion of it, something that arises in Pashat HaShavuah, and uh, discuss its ramifications. This week we're reading Pashat Hayesara, and uh, I'm going to the end of the Pashat, the meeting of Rivka, and Yitzhak Uh, just to remind us of what happens Vivka is coming from uh, Aram from her father's house she's in a caravan of camels she herself is riding on a camel and she approaches Eretz Yisrael she's someplace in Eretz Yisrael and she meets Yitzhak how does she meet Yitzhak? she sees a man who is walking in the fields. says that Yitzhak is walking in the field at evening time lifnot arev even tied, and and he sees her, and she sees him, and using the usual translation, she falls off her camel. Then, her guide, the servant Eliezer, tells her this is Yitzhak, and Yitzhak then takes her home and marries her, uh, falls in love with her, and and marries her. The expression, which I translated as falling off the camel, in Hebrew is batipol me'al hagamal. Uh, Nifila is a fall. <clears throat> the fall is almost always translated as falling, and that's how we naturally tend to understand this. The Rivka fell off the camel. Interestingly, Rashi does not does not interpret it that way. Uh, Rashi says that he, he goes out of his way to say that the uh, the word batipol Rashi writes means that she simply she, she got off the camel. <laughs> she um, slipped herself. She slipped down to the ground. Rashi's main point is to make it not something which took place to her, but something that she did. She got off the camel. She descended from the camel. Perhaps she descended in a manner to explain the word tipol rather than yarad. Uh, so Rashi says that she didn't. It's, it's a camel. It's not easy to simply... You can't step off a camel. You have to slide off a camel. So Rashi says that that's she um, slipped off the camel. But Rashi is still saying she didn't slip the way you slip on the ice. She, she got off the camel. She did it to herself. She descended from the camel. Then Rashi quotes the Tagum Unklus which in fact um, on which is based and this is in a much earlier source um, where the translation is she leaned off the camel. Very often, Rakan doesn't even mean moving, it just means leaning over. Here, I assume he agrees that she got off the camel, but the Idrikinat, she descended, she, she leaned herself and got off the camel. There's a tremendous difference between those two translations. There are other mafashim who interpret the Pesach the way I originally translated, the way we're used to translating based on the meaning of nifila in most places and in modern Hebrew. Um, but I think there's a tremendous difference and I'd like to relate to that difference. And then concentrate on uh, the original, my original explanation that indeed she did fall. But according to Vashi, she descended from the camel. The question that immediately should be asked, and will be asked in the alternative explanation as well, is why is the Torah telling us this? Rivka is riding to Eretz Yisrael. She meets Yitzhak. She asks the Eved, "Who is that man?" He says, "That is my master." And then Yitzhak takes, it to the, and then takes her home and, and, and marries her. What, what, what's the significance of this getting off the camel? Which is interposed between Rivka seeing Yitzhak and Rivka asking the servant, the slave of Avraham, Eliezer, who this man is. According to Rashi, I think the explanation, this Rashi doesn't say, uh, but I think the explanation would be as the following. Uh, when you ride a camel, you're very high up. I'll be sure when you're riding a horse as well as opposed to a walking person, you're definitely looking down at him. But a camel, it's, it's very distinct. Camels are much taller than your horses and your donkeys, the usual means of transportation. And when Rivka sees Yitzchak, Vatisa <speaking in Hebrew> Rivka et Eineha, Vateira et Yitzchak, Rivka raised her eyes and saw Yitzchak who's walking somewhere in the distance. Vatipol me'ala gamal. She descended from the Gamal, I think it indicates that Rivka is choosing to meet Yitzchak eye to eye. If you're riding on a camel and you meet somebody walking, you are speaking down to him, literally. And I suspect in very many cases, um, figuratively or socially as well, it's it's a different, it's a position of power. And and to to meet somebody. You have to get down off the camel. Now, if it's somebody you know, so of course you'll do it. But here, she doesn't know him. She could just pass him. She could just pass him in the dark, in the in the approaching dusk, or maybe to be polite, she could say hello. Rivka getting off the camel means she decides she wants to meet this person in the way to equals meet, which is at at eye level, and therefore she's not going to greet him from up above. But she gets off from the camel. Then she says to the abbot, who is this person? Why does she say that? Because she plans to meet him. She plans to converse. She plans to find out who this person is. And the abbot says to her, the servant says to her, this is in fact my master who is Yitzhak. And then, she takes the veil and, and covers herself up. The way I understand Rashi, there's a certain amount of tension between those two activities. Getting off the camel, Means, doesn't mean lowering herself below Yitzhak, it means lowering herself. She's descended, but she hasn't descended to a position of inferiority. She's descended to a position of equality. She's meeting Yitzhak as one meets one's fellow. Having found out that this is Yitzhak, okay, her future husband, a certain amount of sneers is involved, a young girl meeting the man who she's going to marry, so she covers her face. Frankly, in all, in all likelihood, one would explain that as as merely a social custom. Uh, this is a woman who's riding on the camera. You don't have to cover yourself up, but when, you, when you're in a social context, when you're meeting somebody, apparently the social mores would indicate that in some way she has to be better covered. She's no longer a traveler who's wearing her traveling clothing, her, her sports shoes, and her. Uh, she's now being introduced. She's about to be introduced to her husband-to-be, not in the formal setting that she might have expected. When she gets home, She'll come into his home and she'll be introduced. She's meeting him in the street, so she's not ready. But she dresses up to some extent. That's why I think Rashi would, would, would explain it. The important point for the tipol, for the falling off the camel, the descent from the camel, is that Rivka meets Yitzhak eye to eye, face to face. Hello, I'm Yitzhak. Hello I'm, hello, I'm Rivka. I think that's what the, would be the meaning of the Pasuk, according to Rashi. I think it's very significant. Not so much because of what the Pshat says, but because of what it denies. Um, the Nitziv, from uh, the Tadi Tzvi Berlin, the Sheshiva of Olashen, explains the Pasuk according to the usual translation. But means she fell off the camel. Now the question is twofold. One is, why is the Torah telling us? And two, Pshat, why did she fall off the camel? She was an accomplished camel rider. She had just ridden all the way from Avam several days at least, on the camel. And why did she fall off the camel? So then Siv explains his follows, Which more, than his father, it, it's directly derived from the uh, from the way the Pesukim are constructed. What is Yitzhak doing there? So going back to Psukim to Pesuk Samachbet 62, chapter 24, Pesuk 62, V'Yitzhak b'a mi-be'er Yitzchak was coming from a place called be'er Chairoi. So we don't know much about that place. And Yitzhak points out that that is a well in the middle of the desert to which Hagar had fled when she was expelled from, uh, from Avram's house. And, but it's a place of water, a place where an angel appeared to Hagar in the middle of a desert. The next pasuk is more significant. Yitzchak Lasuach Lifnot arav. And Yitzchak went out to, difficult word, Lasuach. Chazal. Rashi following Chazal. Unculus. Say Lasuach means to daven, means to pray, to speak. Sicha, is speech. It might mean to wander about. Uh, maybe that's... Uh, would be the Moabies, Pshat, Chazal interpreted to mean Tefillah. This is the source for the statement of Chazal, Yitzchak, Tikein, Tfilat Mincha. Yitzchak instituted the afternoon, the late afternoon Tefillah, which we call Mincha. It's called Tefillat Yitzchak. Why? Because here it says, Yitzchak went out to Lasuach, to speak in the field towards the evening. Even according to the other, Pshat, Les darshani, Shani, Basadeh is to wander about. You get the picture. What was he doing? And the Tzib understands. We're talking about Yitzchak Avinu. We're talking about one of the greatest individuals in the history of the world. A great spiritual man. A person who had been brought up in Abraham's house from earliest childhood to serve God and to found the Jewish people. A person who Chazal called an Ola Tmima, a, a perfect sacrifice who had experienced the Akedah, had been bound and had agreed to deliver his soul to God because of God's command. A person who was completely wrapped up in the presence of God. What's he doing in the field? It's in the sense this, this was some sort of a meditative process. All the way Chazal understood it. It was tefillah, but he was inventing tefillah. He was, he was connected, cleaving unto God in a very, very special way, which is why he had left his tent and gone out into the field to a special place, to this um, well in the middle of the desert, a place where God's presence had been manifested in the past. He had a special connection to it. Yitzchak had just come from a... He was coming back from an experience of extreme closeness to to God. He lifts up his eyes. He looks up his eyes and he sees camels. Rivka lifts up her eyes and she sees Yitzchak. The Netziv claims that Rivkah, who is also a very special individual, perceives. She doesn't see a man wandering in the desert. She sees Yitzchak coming from Lasuach Basadel if not Arab. She sees Yitzchak coming from Be'er <speaking in foreign> Lachai <language> She sees. She literally perceives the enrapture, the flame of the divine presence which is surrounding Yitzchak. Vatipol <speaking in foreign> al Hagama. <language> She is knocked off her feet, or in this case, knocked off her camel, camel perch. She's overwhelmed. She has seen many men on the caravan paths, which her caravan, her camels are taken on the long journey from Aram. But all of a sudden, she sees this man coming out of the dusk, the setting sun in the background, and, and she, she actually sees that this is, she says, no, it's Yitzchak. But she sees that it's Yitzhak. She sees that it's somebody who we call Yitzhak. And, and that experience, the first time she sees Yitzhak, is one which is, at that moment, overwhelming. Never had she met a person like this. Even from a distance, she felt the power, the awe, the, the divine presence, which envelops, which envelops Yitzhak. Then Yitzhak asks himself, Okay, why is the Torah telling us this? What's, what's the importance of this interesting uh, picture of Yitzhak and Rivka's first meeting? Without a doubt, the Torah is spending more time telling us how Yitzhak and Rivka meet than any other, practically speak. any other couple in the Torah. And pretty close to any other couple in Tanakh. Uh, how did Avraham meet Sarah? I don't know. We know that Avraham married Sarah. How did Yaakov even meet Rachel and Leah? Okay, so there's a story there. He, he meets them at the well, similar to the way Eliezer meets uh, Rivka at the well. But, but it, it's, 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 it's important, so it's important because it's about chesed, it's about what Rivka does, she passes the test. That's how Oezer knows that Rivka is the intended. But, but uh, or, or how does Yaakov know uh, that Rachel is a wonderful woman because she passes the same test and he falls in love with her. But here you have this picture, like it sounds like a movie, like a romantic movie, Yitzhak is wandering out of the desert in the dusk with the setting sun behind him, the last rays of sun hitting, hitting his head as he comes by. And she is coming on a camel, and she falls off the camel not knowing who he is. Beautiful picture. I could make a wonderful story. Why does it exist? So Tzip makes the following point, which I think is a brilliant point. Tzip claims first impressions leave lasting impressions. Vivka was not a retiring person. She wasn't a shy person. She was a powerful person, as we see in the next week's parasha. But her first meeting with Yitzhak, her first impression, was one which overwhelmed her. She wasn't introduced to him. Hi, this is Yitzhak. Hello, this is Vivka. She suddenly sees this figure coming out of the dark And it literally, and much more importantly, psychologically knocks her off her perch. Claims in its that for the rest of her life, for the rest of their relationship, Rivka is under this impression. She's under the effects of this impression. The practical result is she is unable to directly confront Yitzhak when she disagrees with him. In other words, this explains next week's Pasha. Next week's Pasha, Yitzchak wants to give the blessings of Abraham, the blessings of the future of the Jewish people to his elder son, Asa. Rivka knows that that's a mistake. She is very much opposed. She's the loving wife of Yitzchak. She could have said, Honey, we should have a discussion about this. I will explain to you things perhaps you didn't notice because you're somewhat blind. Like your son Esav is a murderer and other sins and he's totally unworthy of this whereas Yaakov, it's true, he doesn't bring you fresh venison every now and then but he's sitting a learning Torah in the O.L. He's much more appropriate. If Yitzhak wouldn't quite understand that she could explain it to him at length. Instead of that, what does she do? doesn't say a word to Yitzhak. She maneuvers Yitzhak behind his back. Now, is she shy in retiring? Not at all. She's sure she's right, and she will get her will done. She has no compunctions of maneuvering, of manipulating her husband Yitzchak. But she can't speak to him directly and say, you're wrong, do what I want. When she approaches Yitzchak, she still, or in her subconscious, she remembers when she was a little girl and she met this flaming figure of faith, in the evening, and and she stutters. She cannot directly confront him and impose her will on him that way. That doesn't mean that she gives in. We're talking about Rivka Imenu here. But her method is a one that's appropriate to their relationship. Then Siv says, This story of how Rivka meets Yitzhak. Defines the relationship for the rest of their lives and explains Jewish history. Explains why you have this whole complicated story of Yaakov achieving the blessings in stealth upon Rivka's advice, and Asa being, so to speak, cheated out of what he'd already been promised, which explains the enmity between Esau and Yitzhak, and that may go on for generations. And this is a founding, a founding feature of Jewish history, all because of the way Rivka met Yitzhak in the evening when she came back on her camel and was knocked off her camel and remained somewhat knocked off for the rest of her life. You have here in the a very interesting picture which I would like to comment on for a few minutes so that we shouldn't be too upset. The relationship, the married relationship, the conjugal relationship, the partnership between Yitzhak and Rivka is unusual. Surely isn't what we think about. When we think of man meets woman and they devote themselves together to a common goal. Yitzhak is a towering figure. Not necessarily a social figure, very little connection to the outside world. Towering figure of devotion to God. Rivka is a much more practical person. But when they meet when they speak, when they're together, very unequal, not unequal more or less, very different roles in which they express, whereby Rivka takes, she plays second fiddle in the direct encounter with the Yitzhak. She will not express herself. She will not be a dominant figure in the direct encounter. Is that a criticism? I don't think so the Torah makes the point makes the effort of saying that after Yitzhak meets Rivka he marries her and he loved her That may seem a commonplace to you but think about it who else is that said about in the Torah it's true it says that Yaakov loved Rachel but that's in order to explain why he chose her rather than Leah it, it, it's not describing the relationship Here, the Torah says something many, many times it says A marries B. I hope that they all love their wives. I hope their wives love them. Since we're talking many cases of tzaddikim, I assume that it was true. Only here does it say that he married her and he loved her. And marrying Rivka comforted, healed Yitzhak after the death of his mother. They had a very close, very beautiful relationship. doesn't exactly match what our normal expectations might be. It's a very unusual one. It's especially unusual if we compare it to Abraham and Sarah. For those of you who thought that perhaps I'm going to conclude the Torah thinks this is the proper and only relationship between a man and a woman. A woman should sit next to her husband and keep her mouth shut. Abraham and Sarah have a very different relationship. And Chazal go out of the way to stress the difference of that relationship. Chazal view Avraham and Sarah as being partners in equality. They did the same things together. This is expressed in one Ma'amar Chazal because it's found in merely, they they rooted in only one Pasuk. When Avraham and Sarah are leaving Haran to go to Eretz Yisrael, it says Avraham took his wife took Lot, and the souls that they, they had made in Chavan. Since the subject of the Pasuk, of the verses, Avraham, it could easily have said, Avraham took his wife Salah, Lot, his nephew, and the souls that he made in Haran. The Pasuk says, Avraham, who's the organizer of the trip, took Salah and Lot, and the souls that, he took the souls that they had made in Chavan. Rashi quotes Chazal as saying, Souls you make, what does that mean? It does not mean, as boy, Chazal interpreted, not people who they had bought as slaves, which could be an explanation, but Chazal interpreted literally, souls they had made, meaning people who they had brought closer to the worship of God, basically converted to the non existent Judaism. Avraham m'gayer et ha'gvarim sarah m'gayer et hanashim. Avraham converted men, Sarah converted women, and those people were the following. They were like the, the disciples of Avraham who accompanied him on his trip to go to Eretz Israel. And I think sometimes when I first you know, heard that medish, learned that Rashi, and I think many people understand it, as a statement of Khazal trying to emphasize that Avraham took care of men and Sarah took care of women. Something that Chazal making a point of the differentiation between the sexes, uh, the separation. Of, this, of the activity of males and females, that's not the main point at all. That's that's almost an aside. That's that's simple. Obviously, you know, I was, it was it was obvious that each one worked with the people they could work with. I think it's probably true to this day, uh, more or less. Uh, the rabbi works with the men, and the rabbi works with the women. If not, it's not. But that wasn't Chazal's point. Chazal's point was to emphasize. It says asu they converted people. So the Chazal explained, yes, they means both Avraham and Sarah, not Avraham. That's why it says they. That the spiritual activity of Abraham, spreading God's word to the to the surroundings, to the populace in the midst of which he lives, wasn't only him. She didn't stay at home cooking while he ran out. They both were out there to be a mekarevet, to be megayeret nashim. Sarah was not in the was not in the tent. She had to be out there, somewhere. Or if Abraham is being machnisachim, she's machnisachim. If Abraham makes speeches someplace, she makes speeches someplace. Abraham and Sarah are parallel. In that Pasuk. Um, in another Mamma Chazal, which doesn't reflect any particular Pasuk, uh, in the beginning of Lechacha, Medrash Raba, Chazal say, Three people, three individuals. Uh, monitin, la'olam. monitin in modern Hebrew means reputation. More or less it means that in ancient Hebrew as well, but the word literally means, it's the same Latin root as the word monetary. Monitin means coinage. Why does the word coinage mean reputation? In the ancient world, until today in some countries, an important person, namely the king, mints coins. He has to write something on the coin. He has to write that this is one shekel. That's the whole point of minting. The coin is really worth one shekel. That's, there's, there's, there's the weight of gold there is worth what it's worth. But how do you know that? You'd have to weigh it each time. So coins have a stamp of approval by an authority, by the king. So he writes on it one dinar, one shekel. And then for fun he puts his picture on it. That's what kings do. That's monitin Shalahem. The coin of Caesar has Caesar's picture. So it publicizes Caesar. The more important, the more trustworthy, the more grander a king you are, the more your coin is spread around. People will use your coins rather than some obscure coin of some duke of some little corner. And therefore, you're more famous because everyone's using your coin. That's how the word monitin came to mean reputation. But it literally means a coin. And that's how Chazal are. They they mean that Avraham Avinu was very famous, but they use the word monitin, and then they ask, what is his monitin? But what was the picture on the coin that represents Avaham. And the answer is Zaken Uskeinah Mitzad Echad na'ar v'na'ara Mitzad Sheni. An old couple, an old man and an old woman on one side, and a new and a young man and a young woman on the other side. The point is that Avaham's reputation, Avaham's uh, fame, Avaham's special attribute was Hid chachot was renewal. Sarah had said in Vayeva, after I am worn out, will I become fresh again? Sarah had a party, said, my husband is too old to have a child, and then they both had a child. They were both were renewed. The, 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 it's not just a miracle. It's Khazala say, this is the essence of Avraham and, and Sarah, that they're not just forever young, but forever becoming younger. The old becomes new. God, God refreshed the almost withering plant that had been the old couple, Abraham and Sarah. I'm interested not in the meaning of the Midrash, but in the ways expressed. The coin was a man and a woman on both sides. We know, most coins have only the king. Very rarely does he stick his queen there. The monitin of Avraham was a couple. Chazal, Si, Avraham, and Savad, their relationship was partnership. Yitzhak and, Sa- and Rivka, not the same at all. Very different roles, very different relationship between them. And this is expressed in exactly what the Nitzib talks about. When Sarah disagrees with Avraham, what does she do? She yells at him. Chamasi Alecha. She had given her maidservant, Chagat, to Avraham, and it didn't work out well. She's upset. Not important now why. So she goes to Avraham and bangs on the table. says, do it my way. It's all no good. You, I insist you do the following. Same thing later on. When she perceives before Avraham that Yitzhak, that uh, Yishmael is not behaving properly, perhaps having a bad influence on Yitzhak, she says, send him away, knowing that Avraham is going to resist. She insists. She, and she gets and, and she wins. She gets away. Right, the second time, God intervenes and tells Abraham, "Do whatever Sarah says." But the point is, Sarah confronts Avraham because she's because she's his equal. Everything they do, they do together. Presumably in agreement. When they're in disagreement, she says, "I disagree," and she pushes for her opinion, and basically wins because God says to Abraham, shema bekola." Sarah and the Chazal say that that there's more intelligence, more Bina, special kind of intelligence in women than in men. And uh, she actually wins. But Ifka doesn't do the same thing in a very similar situation, two sons. And she wants one son rather than the other. It's exactly the same situation. So go and say, get rid of Esav, or do, ignore Esav, do something with Esav, but choose Yaakov. She can't do that. She doesn't do that. She has a different way of achieving it. So we have here a point I think it's interesting. We would normally say, if I asked you, what is Pashat uh, Chayesara about? Sum it up. Ten parashat in Vreshit. What is Chayesara? It's the transition Pasha between the career of Avraham and the career of Yitzchak, which is correct. One Av followed by another Av. One forefather followed by another. In actuality, in terms of the amount of time spent, the stories that are being told here, so the truth is, this pasha has the transition between Sarah and Rivka. begins with Sarah dying. Avraham only dies in the end of the pasha. Sarah dies in the beginning of the pasha. Afterwards, Avraham therefore has to find a wife for Yitzhak, a long pasha describing how Rivka is chosen and joins the family of Avraham and in fact the Pasuk makes the comparison explicitly the last Pasuk of the Pasuk that we're reading the story of Yitzhak meeting Rivka the Pasuk 67 Sarah imo. Yitzhak brought Rivka the girl he just met into the tent of his mother Sarah and he married her and he loved her the Pasuk says Rivka took the place of Sarah literally in her tent and secondly in the heart of, uh, of, uh, of 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 Yitzchak. The pasha, in terms of what it says, is is about Rivka taking the place of Sarah. Of course, it's also about uh, uh, Yitzchak taking the place, beginning his career in in replacing Avraham, which actually doesn't begin to do anything. There's no story to the next pasha, which begins, Eilat Adol Yitzhak. This is the story of Yitzhak. So the story of Yitzhak really begins in the next pasha. The story of Rivka uh, begins here, uh, at, least in its, at least in its potential. So we have here, and I don't have much more to add except that we should reflect on it. Um, in terms of Sarah and Abraham, in terms of Rifka and Yitzhak, two very different relationships between couples, two successful couples, two ideals, to Avveim, forefather, foremother, forefather, foremother. Now I'm not looking for criticism. I don't think it's possible to look for criticism here. Just like Avraham is different than Yitzchak, different than Yaakov, just like Sarah is different than Rivka is different than uh, Rachel or Rachel and Naya, So too, the pair Avram Sarah, the relationship. Abba is different very different than the relationship of Yitzhak Vivka. these are two different versions two different elements Which will be combined eventually after three generations will be the uh, creation of the children of, of, of Abba logically I should immediately continue and ask what do we know about the relationship between Yaakov and his wife ok we're not up to that also a very complicated question for a very simple reason. He has more than one wife. He has at least two. Between two and four wives. It's difficult for us also to even appreciate what that means because we have no experience. We have no model. None of us really understand bigamy. And therefore, it'll be, it'll be quite difficult. Assuming that there is psukim that I could try to analyze, I think it'll be difficult to do so. In the meantime, I don't know the answer. And in Mitzvah perhaps when we get to some Pasha like that, I will reflect on it, but here it's explicit. Here the Torah really wants us to see Rivka replacing Sarah, Rivka's relationship to Yitzhak, Rivka's relationship to Avraham. As I said, I prefer, maybe it was obvious, I prefer the explanation of the netziv because it explains the following Pasha, it explains what's going on later on, and frankly, I think it's a better shot in the way of the tipo. Rashi explicitly denied that because he couldn't understand why she fell off the camel. And Rashi's explanation sort of ruins my point at least to some extent, Rivka gets off the camel to meet Yitzchak as a as an equal. Sounds like the way he described Avraham and Sava. Uh, but perhaps it's not really so much the opposite because right away afterwards says that's what she wanted to do, but the next line is, vatikach ha vatitkas. And uh, she veiled herself before him. You can claim that, women do that all the time, but the Torah doesn't tell us that Salah was ever veiled before Avraham. It makes the point here, so perhaps it might be a similar point to what the Nitziv says, but the Nitziv really made it too much more dramatic, and uh, getting knocked off a camel really psychologically explains it much better. And so what my main point is really based on the Nitziv rather than on Rashi, compare the two couples and try to understand how these two models could be, uh, could be models of spiritual relationships, physical and spiritual relationships, which mold Amisra in the future.